say that yes that is thus with me um, just thinking about this over the last few days uh, uh, that when one comes by grace to know and I say by grace for God to show us how sinful and for our hearts to be exposed to the sinfulness of who we are is a grace of God. Uh, some people look at that as a bad thing, but actually I am thankful that the Lord pulled back the curtain of my heart, pulled back who I am, and revealed myself to me in truth, in unveiled, vile sinfulness and <clears throat> as the hymn writer wrote there oftentimes as children of grace whenever we look within we continually see that we cannot hit the mark 
Now, I know that there's religionists out there who think that they're keeping the law. They think that they're improving. They think that they're getting better. They think that they're better off today than they was yesterday. And I'm not saying that the Lord, whenever He comes into our, uh, our lives and everything like that, He may change some things. You know, He may make a person who was a drunk to quit drinking. Or a person who was an adulterer quit being an adulterer. You know, He may change those things. And I'm not saying that doesn't happen. But that is not a sign of anything that we have been made more holy or that we are getting on more closer to God than anything else because I know people that are reprobates out there that are not Christians who do the same thing. They quit drinking, they quit drugging, they quit carousing, they quit cheating, they quit, you know, killing, you know. Outward reformation can be done by anybody, even to the worst degree. I mean, Jeffrey Dahmer can quit eating people, you know? That doesn't mean that he's gotten more holy. That doesn't mean that he's gotten more closer to God. And so, a lot of times we hear these things that, that uh, from churches all over the place and preachers on the radio that, you know, if you're a Christian then you're going to gradually become closer and closer and sin less and less and less and be able to control your sin and all these things. And I have yet to find that to be true with myself. And just like that hymn writer say, if I, if I know love at all, why am I thus? Why am I doing this? If I am uh, a child of grace, then why do whenever I try to study my Bible and pray and, 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 and meditate upon God's Word and whenever I try to uh, do all these things, why is it that I feel the sin all the time in my heart? Well, that's because God has given us grace to expose ourselves to our unrighteousness. He has given us eyes that now see that there is nothing but total corruption in this natural man and that, there that the only righteousness that there is is the Lord Jesus Christ. And is Christ in you? Yes. Does Christ control our sins? Yes. I can't control my sin. Because the natural man, all he can do is sin. Everything that he does is sin. And therefore, if I am to withdraw or hold back from any kind of sin, it's only because the grace of God has caused me to do that, not because I made a conscious effort in my mind to say, I'm going to stop doing that, and I'm going to quit doing that, and therefore I'm going to repent and walk away and never turn back, and I'm going to... Listen, the person that says that they can do that has yet to experience true grace. They've experienced religion, but they've not experienced grace. Because grace always will point them back to their inability and always shine the light towards Christ and His finished work. That's our only hope. Our only hope is not in our reformation. Our only hope is not in letting God get in business in our life. Our only hope is not us making a change and letting God loose in our heart and squelching our sin and crucifying our flesh and holding ourselves 
down so that we can't, you know. All of that is given by God. All of that is by God. But here's the thing. Even with God working in you, He is not working in you to make you acceptable to Him. Now that may be controversial to many people, but God working in you is not to make you acceptable to Him. We were acceptable to Him when we were dead in trespasses and sin, and we were accepted in the Beloved. The only reason we are accepted before God is because we were united to our surety united to our husband before the world began. And we were chosen in Christ before the world began. That's what makes you accepted before God. And His finished work on the cross, His blood, His obedience, His everything that He did on our behalf, that is the grounds on why God accepts us because we are united to that. Not because of anything we do here in making ourselves in a progressive holiness state or in a gradually getting closer to God state. Do we grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ? Absolutely. It doesn't say growing in the holiness of Jesus Christ. It says growing in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ. The more that God gives me grace to see the knowledge and the person of Jesus Christ, the more I see... That's who I need, not myself trying to make myself better, not to make myself acceptable. That the work that God does in me is never to make me accepted before God, but it's for me to experience by faith what Christ did for me, who He was for me, what He accomplished for me, and what God has accepted on my behalf. See, faith isn't something that gets me into action so that I can be accepted of God. Faith reaches out and says, my only hope is Christ, and therefore I reach for Christ alone to only find that the grace was already given to me so that I could see my only hope was Christ. See, if we, don't, if we haven't been given true grace, Christ's grace, the grace of God, a supernatural, divine grace, if we haven't been given that grace, we will never see our need for grace. We will always say that there is something that we have to do. Even if we believe that we were saved by grace, there still has to be through faith. But see, brethren, it's not through our faith. It's through Christ's faith. It's through His faithfulness that we were saved. And so that hymn really does sit with me in the fact that every time I look at my advancement in reformation of life, or, man, boy, I really... Oh, I really got some good out of the Word of God this week. Man, I figured some stuff out. You know, boy, I was able to explain to old so-and-so and get him straightened out. Whatever the case might be, you know, at the end of the day, 
whenever I look inside, did I hit the mark? No, I didn't. Because hitting the mark means 100% perfection all the time. And I've not hit that, and I never can hit that. So my efforts to strive, to do, to squelch, to advance, to whatever the case might be, my efforts in that is always going to be in vain if I am looking for that as my acceptance or my proof of salvation. I'm always going to, I'm always going to be let down. I'm always going to be pressed under by the weight of sin that is in us. And as Paul said, who is going to deliver me from this body of death that, can, that day after day, moment by moment, continually wreaks and havoc on my heart and on my mind, showing me that all that I do, sin is there with me? Well, the answer is Christ delivers us from that body of death. But it's not now. Brethren, this body of death is still here. Now we are to reckon ourselves to be dead to sin, but that doesn't mean that we are absent of sin. We are to reckon ourselves to be dead to sin, reckon ourselves that sin no more has dominion over us and that Christ is not contemplating our sin anymore. Our sin has been taken care of from the moment I came into this world till the moment I go out of this world, every sin that's going to happen between those two points of Michael Smith, the Lord Jesus Christ has taken care of that sin <coughs> to remember it no more, and I will not be held accountable for one moment of sinfulness. Because whenever we stand before the Lord as the Lord's people, the account that will be given is Christ alone, my righteousness. Is there any righteous man? No, there is none. There is not one righteous man on the face of the earth. Christ is the only righteousness that there is. And if we don't have Him, then we don't have righteousness. But the, don't confuse having Christ's righteousness imputed to you and what people are saying, having Christ's righteousness imparted in you. Christ's righteousness is not imparted to us because Christ's righteousness is perfect righteousness. And none of us have perfect righteousness at all. Matter of fact, we have no righteousness. The only righteousness we have is a robe that goes over me. If I stood up here um, completely naked, and that would be a horrible thing for everybody, but if I stood up here naked, this is who I am. But if I took a coat and put a coat on and say, this is my skin, that's not true. This is a coat that was put on me I am not the coat, and the coat is not me. There is a separation between me and the coat, and the coat and me. The coat covers me. The coat hides my 
nakedness, but it is not mine, it is not part of me. It is something that was given to me and wrapped around me to cover what I am. Christ's righteousness, often in the Bible, uh, compared to a robe, is something that covers us so that what we truly are is not seen. And that's not talking about in front of people, that's talking about in front of God. Whenever we come before God, we come in a robe of righteousness that covers our unrighteousness. Whenever we come before God, God sees us only in the robe, which this is an analogy. We, I don't know if we'll actually have robes or not, but we probably will. I don't know. If they may be leather jackets, I don't know what they might be. But when we come before God, we are wrapped in a robe of righteousness, meaning that a robe covers from neck down to the feet. There is no, not going to be anything exposed of us. It's only going to be Christ. Christ covers all of our unrighteousness by His righteousness. So impartation of Christ's holiness, I don't see that anywhere in the Scripture, brother. I, I, and I, I, I might be wrong, but I don't see impartation of holiness I see impart, or imputation of holiness. Laying to one's account a righteousness outside of myself and thus a living by faith that that righteousness is enough for God, not this righteousness that I try to do myself because at the end of the day, it's not righteousness. No matter how good it is. No matter how much reform I do, it's still unrighteousness. If I feed the poor, if I help the widow, if I shelter the orphan, if I give to the church, if I help some preacher over in Africa, if I whatever I do, those works are not righteous works. Those are religious works. Those are good works in the eyes of man, and yes, they may even be motivated by the Lord. But everything these hands touch is tainted with sin. Just as the hymn writer said. They're tainted with sin. And God does not accept those things to make us acceptable or to keep us in fellowship and righteous, or, uh, relationship with Him. What keeps us in fellowship and right, right standing and relationship with Him is the fact that we are sons of God that we have been adopted, that we have been included in Christ Jesus. That's the only thing that's keeping us accepted and keeping us in fellowship. It isn't our right walk before God and man that keeps us in fellowship or right standing or relationship with Christ. He is what kept us in right standing before God. Not He working in us, but He Himself is what keeps us in right standing because He secured all righteousness before God on our behalf. Now what does that have to do with Mark chapter 2 and verse 14? Well, let's look at a few things here. 
Mark chapter 2 and verse 14. This is the story of calling of, of, uh, well, here in Mark it's Levi. If you look at Matthew, uh, we see that it's Matthew. Uh, But uh, I believe in uh, Luke, he uses Levi as well. But uh, this is who you know is Matthew. Uh, And of course we all know, hopefully we all know, that Matthew or Levi... Um, he was a publican. He was a tax collector. Okay, he was a he was a Jew who worked in the tax office for the Romans, who were taxing and taking money and excising exorbitant amounts of money. From the Jews, so he was a Jew taking money from the Jews on behalf of their enemy. So you can imagine, I hate tax collectors in the United States. And they are people who are taking money from other United States people to give the Jews. Anyway, that's another story for another day. I'm sure I'm going to get lots of comments on that. (laughs) Levi was a publican. He was sitting in his tax office. And here Jesus comes by and says, And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the receipt of custom, and said unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. He didn't argue. He didn't... Wait a minute. Who are you? What, what's going on? Have, have, had he seen Jesus before? More than likely. Probably so. Had he heard about Jesus? More than likely. Probably so. But there was... I mean, Jesus said, follow me. And he just left his tax booth and got up and started following Jesus. And it said, and it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat... For you kids, that means that they sat down for dinner... As Jesus sat at meat in his house, many publicans and sinners sat also together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. And when the scribes and Pharisees, these are the religious leaders, when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? When Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now thinking on that, those things, Jesus said, I came not to call the righteous, but the sinners to repentance. Now there's a couple of questions that arise in my mind here. Number one, well what's he talking about? He didn't come to call the righteous. Who are the righteous? Because the Bible says there are none righteous. Right? 
There is none righteous, no, not one. Not one of you are righteous. Not one of you that are watching on here is righteous. I don't care how much obedience you think you're doing, you are not righteous. You're not righteous. Because you have become a Christian, that does not make you righteous. Because you have been baptized or joined a church or quit sinning, what you think is quitting sinning, that does not make you righteous. You are all unrighteousness. So who is Jesus talking about here? I didn't come to call the righteous. Were these the people who had already repented of their sin and been baptized and come to Jesus and accepted Jesus and transformed their lives and quit going into the old world of sin and went to the new life of religion? And Is this who Jesus is talking about? The righteous? I've not come to call the righteous, but the sinner to repentance. Well, Jesus knew that there was none righteous. He's the one who said it. So what does Jesus mean here? Was there righteous people that were excluded from the gospel? And Jesus isn't going to call the righteous. No, what's he saying here? He's drawing an illusion for these religious men who came because before this they had already been boasting of a lot of their religious activities and their fasting. What was Jesus saying? Jesus saying the reason that I'm going to sinners, the reason that I'm going to the sick, is because only the sick need a physician. And I'm the physician. I'm the one that's here to heal the problem with sin. The problem with the sickness. I'm the one that's come to do that. And the physician isn't going out to all the well people. He's going all out to the sick people. But you say, well, wait a minute. I thought everybody was sick. I thought everybody was not well. I thought everybody was unrighteous. And here Jesus is saying, I didn't come to call the righteous. So obviously there's people out there that are righteous that he's not calling now. No, what, what does Jesus mean? He means there are some who have no need of a physician because they think that they are not sick. They are well. And they don't have a need of a physician. I'll give you an example. There for a while, uh, I was going and not, we didn't have, I didn't have insurance or anything like that. And... Uh, so I didn't hardly go to the doctor unless it was something that was bad. I was needing emergency. Had to go to the doctor. So we didn't have a doctor. I wasn't going to a doctor or anything like that. Uh, one Sunday morning, woke up. Things aren't right. I had a little drawing down on my face. Lori took me into the emergency room. I thought I was having a stroke. Whenever I got in there, my blood pressure was like 200 over 180, 190. And my blood sugar was over 300. I felt fine. I didn't feel bad at all. The only thing that concerned me was all of a sudden, I, my face was kind of twitching and pulling down a little bit. I thought, man, something is going wrong here. But I felt good. I didn't feel like I had high blood pressure. I didn't feel like I had high blood sugar. I was all right. I don't need to go to the doctor. Well, all of a sudden, then when the pulling went, then I thought, well, maybe I need to go and have that checked out. 
come to find out, I had all kinds of things wrong with me that I didn't even have a clue about. And I had a need of a physician, but I didn't think I did. That's the analogy that Jesus is using here. Just like many of us who are wandering out there and we don't think we have anything wrong with us, we think we're alright, we're doing okay, we're keeping up with the Word of God and obedience to Him and all this kind of stuff. We don't even have a clue that we are sick. There are a lot of people like these religious leaders who think because of the transformation of life and because of the the uh, outward restraint that they are having towards certain things and a change of life that they themselves have no need of a physician. They did it. They listened to God and obeyed. They turned from their sin and repented. They let God loosen their life. They let God have control. They give it all to Jesus. Whatever you want, to, whatever phrase you want to use, they did all those things, and now they're on with God. He's in control of my life, and He's running my life, and all this stuff is going on, and and I'm doing all right. Well, these religious leaders thought they didn't have any need for a Messiah. They didn't have any. They didn't have any need. They thought they had a need for a Messiah. Maybe that was the wrong thing to say. They knew they had a need for a Messiah. They just didn't know they had a need for a Savior. They didn't need to know. Matter of fact, it was even proven in the Scripture that they thought that because whenever Jesus talked about them and their salvation, they said, we don't have any need. We don't have anything to worry about because we're we're Abraham's children. You're talking about us, about needing a Savior? We're Abraham's children. They thought because they were just of the line of Abraham in the flesh that everything was going to be okay. Jesus here laid it down as clear as possible. You think you're righteous. These people know they're not righteous. These are the people that I've come to save. Well, how do you know that, Pastor? Well, why don't you turn with me to 1 Timothy. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 15. It says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. And here's what Paul says, of whom I am the chief. He didn't say, of whom I used to be, but thanks to progressive sanctification, I'm now, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not what I want to be, not what I... Whatever that however that song goes. You know? I'm not what I once was. No. Paul realized I am still what I am. The only thing that has changed is my knowledge of the fact that I am a child of grace and that there is laid up for me an inheritance in Christ Jesus, not nothing that I work for, not nothing that I merit. 
not nothing that I have to do, but that He has given me an inheritance because He is my Father. He is my Savior. He is my surety. He is my helper. He is my Savior. Now, Paul knew that he was the chief of sinners. Romans chapter 7, if you would. Paul didn't go on to boast about how much he had changed, how much he had become better. What did Paul say in Romans chapter 7? He says... He says in verse 18, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. He didn't find how to do good. He found it not. He couldn't find how to do good. For the good that I would, I do not. But the evil which I would not, that I do. Now if I do that, I would not. It is more no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. He didn't say sin that used to dwell in me. He said sin that dwelleth at that time of him writing this. He says, I find then a law that whenever I would do good, evil is present with me. Look at verse 24. He says, O wretched man that I used to be. No, he said, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from that old body of death? No, this body of death. The one that I'm still carrying around. The one that I'm still plagued with. The one that still is not doing anything good or righteous. Even though I want to do it, I can't do it. Why? Because I am still in this natural man, and the flesh cannot do anything to please God. The flesh profited nothing. It is to those people. Those are the ones who know themselves to be sinners, continue to be sinners, will always be sinners. Those are the ones who Jesus came to save. So what are you saying, preacher? I'm saying this. Whenever God grants grace to the child of grace, they know they're a sinner. They realize they cannot do good. They realize they cannot improve their life and make it more better. They know that there is no growth in holiness, that it is all external. It was a holiness given to me, not in actuality, not at least until we get to heaven. Not in actuality, but in deed. Christ give that to me on my account. It is those that Jesus came to save. He came to save the ones who have been humbled to know their inability to ever keep the law. Those who have been given to understand they can never be righteous. That they can never procure a holiness or work out a holiness. Because there is no holiness in that. It is a substitutional holiness. A substitutional righteousness. It is a, we call, you have the word a proxy. 
we have a proxy that has been given to us, and it is the proxy's holiness that is our holiness. These righteous men, righteous men, quote unquote, these righteous men didn't see any need for an external Savior because they had an internal work of righteousness that was working out in them. They were already righteousness. They, they didn't need God. They didn't need Christ. That's why Paul said, you who desire to be under the law, do you not hear what the law says? You who think that you're progressing in a righteousness of your own in something that you do, do you not hear what the law says? The law is condemning you. Every time you try to keep the law for acceptance before God, the law is condemning you. You didn't keep that law. Oh, did you not drink today? Well, yeah, you did do that, but that's not keeping the law. That's not keeping the law. You didn't obey the law of God because if you would have obeyed the law of God, you never would have drank. You never would have sinned. You never would have broken the law ever. That's keeping the law. You say, well, preacher, nobody's perfect and nobody's going to do that, but we do. As we grow... We sin less and less. How can you sin less and less when all you are is sin? How can you sin less and less whenever your flesh is still with you and will not be gone until we are torn, the inner man from the outer man? Until the Lord separates that which is born from above from that which is born from below. Until that time happens, brethren, you are in the flesh and everything you produce is flesh. And we need Christ. You need Christ. <clears throat> we all need Christ as our substitute. Not as our helper to help us be righteous. We need Christ as our substitute to say, here it is. And faith looks to Him. Not faith looks to Him and me. Well, he, he's, he's working in me, but I have to work out what He's worked in me. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Us working out salvation isn't working out holiness. That's not what that means. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to do His good pleasure. He's willing and doing in you what He wants willed and done. It isn't becoming more holy. Is it doing things that He wants done? Absolutely. But that could be anything. He's working in me to will and to do His good pleasure. That means that everyone is being worked in to cause them to will. We talked about it last week. God's the one who turns the heart. Whether it's to turn it for His purposes in redemption 
or to turn it in his purposes of condemnation. He turns the heart. A man devises his steps, but devises his ways, but God directs his steps. Man doesn't know how to walk his own steps, but what does ha- what happens? God directs, and it's not just His people, it's everyone. He directs everyone. Does He direct Joe Biden? He absolutely de- does. He directs Obama. Who directs Joe Biden? Maybe. He directs everyone. When Jesus heard... He says unto them, They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. For those who think that they're growing in holiness and sinning less and less and less, whenever I don't see that I'm sinning, I really don't need a Savior at that point, right? And so while we think we are getting on with God, we're becoming less and less dependent upon God. We used to sing that song, I need thee, oh I need thee, every hour I need thee, except for when I start getting better, then I only need thee a little bit. I need thee every hour. I need thee every hour. Why? Because every hour I am a man full of sin. Every hour I cannot keep your commands. I cannot keep your laws. Because sin is ever present with me. When I go to do good, evil is present. Is it evil? I have mentioned this before. I don't think it's the little devil on his shoulder and the little angel over here saying, Do good. No do evil. Do good. No do evil. When Paul said evil is present with me, it isn't I want to do good, but evil is tempting me to come apart and not do that. No, Paul is saying whenever I would do good. Evil is always present. Why? Because I am evil. I am flesh. I am corrupt. And everything my hand touches is tainted with it. Therefore, even the good things that I do are evil in God's sight. That's why Jesus said, I think it was in Matthew 7, that on that day that there will be many who say, Lord, Lord, did we not do this, 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 and this? Hey, they do that. That's what the religionists are saying. Did we not do this? Did we not do that? Did we not do that? We followed all your prescriptions. We obeyed. We quit sinning more and more. And we started obeying more and more. And we repented and never turned back. Really? Did you really? I don't know one person in this world that has ever repented. In the sense that most people use that word. Repented of their sin and turned to Jesus Christ to never turn back. Because the word repent means to make it about face and go in the opposite direction. But I hear the Bible saying a dog always returns to his vomit. And the pig always wants to go back to the pig style. And so do we. We always go back to our sin. 
Now it may be veiled a little bit. It may not be quite as evident. I may be able to keep it to myself. That's why Jesus looked right through every bit of that. These exact same religious leaders that came to Jesus condemning Him for sitting with the sinners. Look at you. You're mingling with the sinners. Why can't you be like us and be sanctified? Set apart. Come out from among them. <clears throat> Jesus said, well, it's guys like these who I came for. But you guys are white washed sepulchers full of dead men's bones. What's a whitewashed sepulcher? Well, a sepulcher is a tomb or a grave. And they would paint it white to make it look good. He's like, all you are is dead men's bones and you're making yourself look good on the outside. He even gave another analogy, I believe, at one time, bro. You might correct me on this. I may get this completely wrong. But he said something about <clears throat> washing the utensils, making it all clean and everything. You wash yourself up on the outside. He said, it's not what goes into a man that defiles a man, but it's what comes out of a man. What's coming out of these men? What's coming out of most of quote-unquote Christianity out there? A self-righteousness. I will this. I will that. I will do this. I will do that. I am, I am this and that. And everything is about me, me, what I do. We have to let God, we have to... Submit. We have to pursue. We have to climb. We have to jog after the prize. We have to persevere. We have to do all these things. It's all about we, us, how we are working our choices and will. And it's all about us. Jesus said, you're all whitewashed sepulchers. You're, you're full of dead men's bones. You look good on the outside, but on the inside, it's dead. There's nothing that you can produce that's good. And yet you think you're getting on. You're sanctifying yourself from these people, but these are the very people that I came to save. Would you have me to remove myself from the very people that my whole entire existence is for their redemption? You want to be religious and think that you're getting on with God with your holy living? And again, brethren, I, I pray that nobody here thinks that I am saying that we shouldn't have a desire for holy living. If you're a child of grace, you're going to have a desire to be obedient to the Lord. You're going to have that desire because you love the Lord. And I'm not saying that we should just live debauchery all the time. We should live like hell. I'm not saying that either. What I'm saying is in the, in the scheme of religion, religion is just an outward form and it does not, cannot make you acceptable before God. Nothing that is done inwardly in you makes you accepted before God. And Jesus here showed these men, you think that you're whole because of your law-keeping, your outward appearance, because of all these things. 
these people here, they know they're sinners. They've come to the physician because they know that there's nothing to heal. Matter of fact, I think it's in Matthew. Oh, my word. Matthew chapter, is it Matthew chapter 9? The parallel to this? Yes. In Matthew chapter 9, right after Jesus had this exchange with these, if you'll turn Matthew chapter 9, verse 14, I'll be done here quickly. Then, verse 14, Then came He to the disciples of John, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast off, but the disciples fast not? So right after Jesus said all that, they immediately go to, Hey, we have fasted, and we continue to fast, and why don't y'all do it? Jesus said, Can the children of the bride chamber mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken from them, and then shall they fast. No man putteth a piece of new cloth unto an old garment, for that which is put in to fill it up taketh from the garment, and the rent is made worse. Neither do men put new wine into old bottles, else the bottles break, and the wine runneth out, and the bottles perish. But they put new wine in new bottles, and both are preserved. While he spake these things unto him, behold, there came a certain ruler, and worshipped him, saying, My daughter is even now dead, but come and lay thy hand upon her, and she shall live. Now here we see someone who came to Christ because he knew the only hope of healing, the only hope of bringing her back from the dead, was Christ. And Jesus rose and followed him, and so did his disciples. And on the way, for him to go to someone who was dead, on the way there was a woman which was diseased with an issue of blood twelve years, and in other passages, not in Matthew, but in Mark and maybe Luke, I can't remember now, both of them hold the count, after 12 years of going to all the physicians, so-called physicians, spent all the money that she had, could not get rid of the issue of blood. She searched everywhere, high and low, and nobody could help her. But it says here, And behold, a woman which was diseased with an issue of blood 12 years came behind him and touched the hem of his garment. Now if you read in some of the other accounts, you'll see that she pressed through a large crowd of people, a multitude of people was around Jesus, and she didn't even think of going up and just saying, would you please heal me? She just said, I know that if all I did was touch the bottom of his garment, the hem of his garment, that I'll be made whole. And she said, but Jesus turned him about, and when he saw her, he said, daughter, be of good comfort, thy faith hath made thee whole. And the woman was, a woman was made whole that hour. See, this woman had been made or brought to the point where her only hope was Christ. She knew none of these other physicians can help me. Nobody else can do anything for me. I can't do anything for myself. There is no hope. There is the only hope. Now, with that being said, don't think that the merit of her faith was what saved her. The object of her faith is what saved her. 
Christ is the one who saved her. Christ is the one who healed her. Her faith did not heal her. Her faith that Christ could heal her is not what healed her. The object of that faith, remember a few weeks ago I mentioned that the Bible often um, uh, talks about Christ as faith, it personifies faith as Christ. When faith has come, speaking of Christ, He is our faith. Matter of fact, if you get into the spiritual aspect of this, He is our faith. He was our faithful one. He is the one who had faith that God looked and seen that faith and justified us because of that faithfulness. Our justification by faith, that's what justification by faith is. Christ exercising faith in obedience to God in doing all things that was necessary for our salvation. That's the faith that justifies, not me trusting in Christ Jesus. That's not the faith that justifies. That's the faith that justifies that I'm a justified one. That's the faith that, that shows that I am a child of grace. But that's not what justifies me before God. Just here, same thing here. Her faith in Christ Jesus is not what actually healed her. Her faith in Christ Jesus that He could heal her was given to her by Christ Jesus. Her faith came from Him. He gave her the faith to come to Him because all else cannot do nothing for them. And that's what God does to us and what we've been talking about today. Those sinners, those publicans, those ones who came to Jesus knew they were sinners, knew that they were unrighteous, and came to the only hope that they had, and the only reason they came is because God had given them that hope. But see, the Pharisees weren't coming to Him because they had not been given hope. They had not been given faith. They were left to themselves to think that they could do by their own something that only God can do. They thought that they were going to be accepted before God because of their choice in letting God be God. I'm going to let God be God and I'm going to do everything He says and the Lord is going to accept me and I'm going to be, whenever I walk in, the Lord is going to say, Well done, thy good and faithful servant. There's only one good and faithful servant. That's Jesus. Now, praise the Lord, when He walks in, we're going to be walking in with Him. We're going to be united to Him. We are going to be one with Him. And that everything that He done as a good and faithful service is going to be laid to our account. But brethren, there is only one good and faithful servant. And that's Jesus. And so these brethren here, they knew they needed Christ as their only hope. I have not come to call the righteous those who have been made whole. Those who think that they're whole, they will never hear the message of Christ alone. The ones who think that they are whole, the ones who think that they can become more holy and quit sinning more and more, they cannot hear the message of depravity. The message of inability. The message of Christ as a surety. 
Christ as our proxy. They can't hear that message because to them, they have not been given hope. They have not been given the eyes to see the issue of blood. I'm a publican. I'm a traitor to my own people. They haven't been able to see that I am a harlot, that I am a whatever the case may be. There are people that see that they're those things and they transform, but what they don't see is I am always that. I have never committed adultery. Well, I can't say that. I've never physically committed adultery, but the Lord says if you've done it with your eyes, you've done it. So i got to say that I've done that. But I've never physically cheated on my wife. But I'm an adulterer. I've never killed anybody, but I've been a hater. I've never, well, I can't say I've never stolen anything. I've done that too. There's a lot of things. See, that's to my point. More to my point. See, it doesn't matter how good we think we are. We have broken the law of God, and we can't fix that. We never can go back and fix that. Therefore, if you've broken in one, you've broken it all. And if you've broken it in one, the condemnation is you shall die. That's the condemnation. The wages of sin is death. If you've ever broken it one time, that's it. You have no way of making up for it. Because the law is a whole. That's why Jesus was saying these things to these brethren that were seated around him and to the religious leaders who were coming with their accusations. He was saying, listen, these people know they don't have any hope because they're sinners. They've sinned. You think that you may say that you were a sinner, but now you're not so much a sinner. These here know that they can't get out of it. They know that there's nothing there. So they've come to the only one who can give them what they need, and that is a clean bill of health. Only one person can give us a clean bill of health, and that's the great physician. And not because he makes us clean in and of ourselves, but he gives us that on account. Okay, I'll stop there. Anybody have anything you'd like to add to that? Or any comments? Hopefully that wasn't as scattered as it felt. <coughs> All right. Anybody? Sure. Questions, comments, or corrections? Lord, we once again come to you and we thank you for Jesus Christ and thank you for grace. Father, we thank you especially for the grace of knowing our sinfulness. To many, the experience of the hymn that we read this morning and sang, the experience of God allowing sin and evil and trials and the flesh to overcome us at times, say that that is a good thing that is a work of grace in the heart of the child of grace is foreign to many people to even think that God uses sin and evil for his purposes is completely void in the majority of pulpits today and worth we just thank you for those things because as Paul said had I not known 
the law said this and I broke it, I would never know grace. I would never know what it is to know Christ and His sufficiency for me. Had the Lord never brought me low to see my sinfulness, I would never have dependence upon Him. Father, we know that all the trials that you employ, all the afflictions you might bring our way, all the chastening that we might experience in this life, you do because you love us. And that it exposes our sin, exposes our inability, but keeps us pressing to Christ as our only hope. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, looking to the one who has died for us, who has forgiven us, paid the ransom for our sin, so that we may be just before God. So Father, Lord, we thank you today. We thank you that we can come as sinners, dead in trespasses and sins, without any merit, without any ability, but because of your great love for us, you have saved us. You've given us a righteousness foreign to ourselves. Lord, that cannot be taken away. It cannot be diminished and it cannot be increased upon. And so we're thankful today once again for the work of Christ in our lives. I pray that this has been an encouragement and a comfort to your people. Lord, I pray that there's been a conviction to those who may be struggling with these very things. Lord, you are the great shepherd of the sheep and you know what they need. And so, Lord, I pray that what has been spoken today is of truth. And Lord, that you might uh, use it for your glory and your benefit. Lord, uh, for your uh, uh, praise and honor. Lord, we truly do, this church, desire to be faithful to your word to proclaim the doctrine and the truths that are found in the scriptures and to always exalt the Lord Jesus Christ and the debasing of man. So Father Lord, we pray that you would keep us faithful here. We pray for all these brethren. I ask Lord that you be with them as they go their way today and throughout the week, Lord, that you might keep them, that you might strengthen them, and that you might comfort them by your word. And Lord, we just pray blessings upon them. We're thankful for another day together. What a beautiful time it is to fellowship one with another. We do not take that for granted because we know many of our brethren are in places where they cannot meet with others of like faith. So, Lord, we pray that you would, uh, in those places, bring up other children of grace and that they might be united with others for exhortation, for, uh, for encouragement, for worship. Father, we are so uh, beholden to you for all things. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.